If you forgot your Bible and you need to use Pew Bible, you'll find it page 452. Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, wisdom literature. Let's read together here. I'll read and listen there, follow along in your Bibles there. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you and make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Can I be honest with you and say it's a tough day this morning? Didn't really expect to have these emotions on Father's Day, but I do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your strength. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for your power that shows up and is made perfect in our weakness. Your grace is sufficient. And... uh, You have a word for us this morning from this passage. I'm certain of that. I know you had a word from this passage to my own heart. And I pray, God, that we can tune into you this morning and hear what it is that you want to say to our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Baseball great and Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle played 18 seasons, was voted MVP three times. He was an all-star 16 times, and he earned himself seven World Series rings. He accomplished much as a player, and yet his personal life was a mess. Mickey Mantle had a drinking problem. His 40 years of drinking so badly damaged his liver that he was told bluntly by a doctor that his next drink could be his last. His hard living hurt both his playing and his family, and he admitted that he had often been cruel and hurtful to family, friends, and fans because of his alcoholism. He did finally receive treatment for his alcohol abuse and has said to have come to faith in Christ prior to his death. 
But in July 1995, Mickey Mantle attended a press conference. It would prove to be his last as he would uh, pass away one month later. In her biography of Mickey Mantle, Jane Levy recounts, she says this, It was a standing room only conference. His comic timing was still acute, but the robust physique, the Popeye muscles, and the untroubled face of American plenty were gone. His tracksuit hung on his desiccated frame. He looked like death. And Mantle stood up to the microphone and he said, God gave me a great body and the ability to play baseball. God gave me everything and I just poofed. Jane Levy said what would be remembered most at that press conference was the anguished plea to the the children there. Mantle said, I'd like to say to the kids out there, if you're looking for a role model, this is a role model. Don't be like me. The reporter asked Mantle if he had signed a donor card. Mantle replied, everything I've got is worn out. He went on to say, although I've heard people say they'd like to have my heart, for it's never been used. Where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart this morning? One of the best gifts dad can give their children is a healthy heart. Someone said, my father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. When this passage before us, as we're going to see this morning, there's instructions on how to live, but also, fathers, if we're going to make an impact on our children, it is to live it and let our children observe and watch our behaviors. So dads, I ask you specifically, how's your heart this morning? Because God is concerned about the condition of our hearts. As our hearts go, so will the rest of our lives. As our hearts go, so will the rest of our lives. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs that mentions and and guides us to living well, to walk wisely. And we are to value wisdom in living life. And if we're going to, then we must address the matters of the hearts. We can't afford to raise our children to be good moralists, yet lose their hearts. We have seen too many of our children being surrounded by the things of God, yet live double lives. We mustn't forget the heart as we seek to live out God's commands. We mustn't neglect the heart along the way as we desire change. And so as we come to this fourth chapter in Proverbs Solomon, the writer, gives us a close-up look at the heart of the matter. Now, before we look at the section that Rick read for us, look with me to the opening words of uh, Proverbs chapter 4. I hope your Bibles are open to Proverbs and looking at chapter 4. And I want to go back to verse 1. Notice here in this passage in verse 1, Proverbs 4, Solomon says to his sons, and he says it to us. He says, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain an understanding. 
In other words, what I have to tell you, sons, is very important. It's the key to life. It's the key to your whole well-being. So listen, pay attention. He goes on in verse 2, and he says, I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. He's calling his sons to what? Obedience. Obedience. I'm reminded of one dad who quipped, Father's Day is that one time of the year when I get complete obedience from everyone in my family. I tell them not to spend a lot of money on me, and they don't. (laughs) But this is a beautiful, this is beautiful here, and what we have as we're overhearing a father of a teenage son's coaching them in wisdom. I just love it when dads are coaching their children's teams. But I have to ask, but are we coaching them in wisdom? Well, that is far-reaching impact and results. Throughout this book of Proverbs so far, we have had the privilege of listening in on dad speaking to his son as to whom he should trust and whom he should not trust. Well, it's the first time in Proverbs that we meet the grandfather. See the tradition here of wisdom crossing the span of three generations. Look at verse 3. The dad says, when I was a boy, <laughs> and teenagers just love hearing their dad start off the lecture with that. When I was a boy, right, I walked to school three, three, three feet of snow, without shoes, uphill both ways. You know how it goes. Well, Solomon's saying when I was a boy, he speaks to the wisdom that was passed on to him from his dad. He says there, verse 3, when I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Solomon recognizes his dad was right in what he said. Reminds me of the quote. By the time a man is old enough to recognize that his father is right, he has a son who thinks he's wrong. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Notice what Solomon has learned, though, at a young age. He wants his own sons and us, he wants us to embrace. Catch the words there at the end of verse 3, in the beginning of verse 3. Lay hold of my words with all your heart. With all your heart. Now, that leads us to the section we're really going to zero in on this morning. I want to fix our thoughts on that verse there, uh, verse 23. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Familiar verse. It says here, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, I read this, this verse, and it prompts four questions. You know, it's a good practice as we come to Scripture to ask questions. That can be very helpful as we dig into what God is saying. Well, there are four questions that I want to answer this morning from this verse. Four questions. First of all, what is meant by the heart? What is meant by the heart? Secondly, what does it mean to guard the heart? Thirdly, why should we guard the heart? And fourthly, how, how, let's get real practical, how can we guard the heart? So first of all, what is meant by the heart? Because we're told here in verse 23, above all else, we're to guard the heart. Well, before we can guard the heart, we must understand what it is we're guarding. The word heart is used roughly 800 times in the Bible, probably more like 900 times in the Bible. 
Proverbs alone uses it at least 80 times. And when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's more than the organ that pumps blood. But what does it mean when the Bible speaks of the heart? How is it being used? I mean, think of the many ways we use the word heart today. Heartburn, heartthrob, half-hearted, heartfelt, heartless, heartsick, sweetheart, to have a heart, to cross one's heart and hope to die, whatever that means. We speak of pulling at one's heartstrings, the dreadful words of, we need to have a heart-to-heart. And often sarcastically, oh, my heart bleeds. One can have a big heart. We are to have open hearts. We're not to be cold-hearted, but kind-hearted. And at times, we carry a heavy heart. Songwriters sing of achy, breaky heart. Where is your heart? Heartbreak hotel, heartbreaker, total eclipse of the heart, hungry heart. Don't go breaking my heart. You're cheating heart. And of course, if I only had a heart. We often use heart to express our emotions, like I love you with all my heart. Now, in biblical times, to speak of emotions, they refer to the stomach, the, the, the intestines. Their Hallmark cards would read quite differently than we have today. It might say, I love you with all my intestines. <laughs> and the reader would say, oh, that's so sweet, honey. Thank you. It's where the emotions reside. When biblical writers, though, and Jesus spoke of the heart, get this, they were talking about the inner person, who you really are. Who are you? That's the heart. It's that place of of, of deepest inner convictions, our thinking. It's the root cause of our actions and behaviors. It is why we do what we do. It's the center of all life, all activities. So when you see the word heart, think the essence of who you are. It is what makes you, you. The heart's the control center. And that's why behavior modification can only go so far. We must get to the heart of the matter, inner being, the center of all that we do. That's what's meant by the heart. Now, what does it mean then to guard that heart, that inner person? What does that mean? Well, think about the things that you guard and protect. Some homes have security devices protecting their property. Cars have car alarms that often go off and no one pays attention to them because we just say, oh, it's the driver. But we have car alarms in our cars. There was a cartoon in which a, a seagull sat perched on the hood of an SUV. He was kind of cocking his head back and forth in an absolute bewilderment at the car he was sitting on beneath him. From under the hood that he was sitting on was this loud, authoritative, mechanical voice repeating this command, please back away from the vehicle, please back away from the vehicle. The seagull had no idea what that meant. He didn't know how it went off. We have car alarms to protect our cars. This verse here instructs us, however, that more than you guard your car or your house or protect anything else, what's it say? Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Now, it says above all else here in the NIV, but in some translations it says with all diligence. In the original, 
that phrase, above all else or with all diligence, its, its placement of it is at the beginning of the sentence, which gives its emphasis. The emphasis is on above all else, with all diligence. What is he saying then? So more than, than we protect our cars, more than we protect our bank accounts, more than we protect our body from personal injury, our home from burglary, our borders from terrorist attacks, more than we protect our family, more than we protect our image, more than we protect our health and our job, more than we protect all our stuff, guard our hearts. That's what he's saying. Because we, if we can even effectively protect all that other stuff and yet fail in protecting this one all-important thing, as the Bible warns, that singular failure will affect all other areas of life. Haven't we seen that? More than everything, guard your hearts. Have you been doing that? Have you been making the condition of our hearts more important than any other concern? Are we protecting our hearts? Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that we are to protect our hearts from getting hurt. That's not what it's saying. That isn't what this guarding is all about. But what does this guarding look like? Well, if our heart is the very essence of who we are, then what does it mean to guard it? Well, to guard our heart means we are paying attention to what's going on and the deepest core of who we are and what is inside of us. It means we protect our heart, our inner being, from influences outside itself that might jeopardize its integrity. To guard our heart means knowing our hearts, knowing ourselves, knowing what causes the biggest problem for them. It's being aware of the things that will affect our decisions both positively and negatively. And that's why we must actively ask each and every time we're faced with a decision, with a myriad of options, when we're faced with temptation, what will this do to my heart? What will this do? Will it lead me closer to Christ? Or will this thing, this decision, potentially cool me off toward him? See, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Third question, why should we guard our heart? Well, the end of verse 23 tells us why, for it's the wellspring of life. You hear what this is saying? You see the great importance of guarding your heart? Everything in your life flows from it. Everything in your life flows from your heart. Jesus said that in Luke 6, verse 45. He said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. What spills out is in line with what is inside. We often say things like, I don't know why I reacted that way. That's just not like me. Hmm. We say things, you know, I was just kind of caught off guard there. We say something like, it was out of, out of character for me to respond the way I did. Jesus would say, no, it's in there somewhere. It's in there. Like the, the waiter carrying a, a tray of drinks. When bumped, what spills out was what was in the glass. If, was, if in the glass was a soft drink, 
and he gets bumped, milk isn't going to spill out. That's not going to be the liquid that comes out of there. What comes out of the glass when bumped reveals what was in the glass in the first place. So the question is, what's been spilling out? I don't like that question. I didn't like it this past week. What's spilling out, Brian? Oh, that's not me. Yeah, it's you. Oh, it's just the circus. No, it's in there. Oh, someone kind of drove me to it. No, it's in there. It spilled out. What's been spilling out? What spills out when when that button is pushed? What spills out when that, that angry word bumps you? What spills out when that person flirts with you? What spills out when someone cuts in front of you in line at the, at the checkout lane? Sorry. What spills out when you're criticized? What's flowing from your heart? What streams are flowing out from us as we carry on each day? There's a stream behind us. Why guard the heart? Because everything in your life flows from it. If you're not taking care of what's going on on the inside, it's likely, I can safely say, it's taking its toll on other people around you. It's spilling out. Why guard what we're taking in on a daily basis? Because if we don't guard what we're taking in on a daily basis, we're going to cool off for the Lord. We're going to start to see some things really slip in our lives. In the 1600s, there was a Puritan writer by the name of John Flavel, and he, and he wrote about this one verse. In fact, he wrote over 100 pages about this one verse. I mean, that's just what Puritans did. I mean, that, I mean really. I mean, that was one long message. One long message. I'm just trying to lend a little perspective here when you call it a long message, okay? That's a long message. Just keep that in mind. But one thing he said in those 100 pages is that our hearts are like a musical instrument. You tune that musical instrument and and you got it just right and then you kind of put it aside, maybe you hang it on the wall. You, You put it aside for several days and what happens when you pick up that instrument again? It goes out of tune. You have to tune it again. So you tune it again, and and after you do, you kind of put it off to the side, and someone comes along and bumps that instrument. What can happen? It goes out of tune. You have to tune it again. In the same way, our loved ones, our hearts get out of tune. Our inner being can can be right with God and and then something comes along and disrupts it or or we can be doing the necessary tuning to our lives by feeding on God's word and and being around God's people and taking in the things that are healthy for our souls. But if we start to neglect that for a time, if we put our spiritual lives on hold for a bit, if we kind of slip into this coasting mode, what happens? We get out of tune. And you know what's really scary? Our hearts are making all this noise. It's out of tune, and everyone hears it. Everyone but us. We don't hear it. We think what's coming out of our mouths is all fine. We think we're in tune, and we're not. That's why we need others around us to tell us what they're hearing, if we dare ask. 
you say that to your spouse, to your, to your children? What are you hearing from dad lately? What are you hearing? Would you say your heart is in tune right now? Would you describe it as joyful, content, peaceful, passionate, zealous for the things of Christ? Or is it angry or bitter or fearful or restless? Maybe it's cold right now. What is the condition of your inner being right now? What would those closest to you say? What are they hearing? Let's ask them. Are they hearing the results of your missing those times with the Lord? Is irritability kind of flowing out from you? A lack of love and compassion for others? Uh, You're manipulating conversation so you get that approval that you're craving? What's flowing out? Hurtful comments? You're doing a lot of talk about what you're doing? What's flowing out? You're doing things today you said you would never do? Is that flowing out? What are the streams flowing out behind you? What's flowing out is an indicator of what's going on inside. And so if your heart is full of pride in self, then even if you have all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted theologically, self and pride is what's going to come out. If your heart's full of bitterness and anger, it will be that ugliness that will flow out and it will infect others around you. If your heart is full of fear, it will flow out of you and others will be touched by that fear. We can't get around it. We can't escape it. And on the contrary, if your heart is full of Jesus' love, then his love will be what you communicate to others. It will flow out. It will refresh those you you touch. I mean, it's such beautiful music when a heart touched by Christ, tuned to Christ, that that flows out and touches the hearts and lives of others. That's a beautiful thing. It will become a wellspring of life from which you and others can drink. I mean, you see why it's so critical we guard our hearts, that we attend to what we are taking in because we get out of tune so quickly. We need to keep retuning our hearts so it sounds the way it was designed to sound. Our spiritual lives, our whole beings must have regular tunings. Well, how? We come to our fourth question. How do we guard our hearts? We looked at what is meant by the heart, what is meant to guard the heart, and why we guard the heart. Why, how now do we guard our hearts? Well, verses 24 through 27 really answer that. Because what we have in these verses, verses 24 through 27, is really an anatomy of discipleship. Actually, go back with me to verse 20, because verse 20 picks up this anatomy of discipleship as well. Look at verse 20. It says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. I want you to note what is involved in guarding our hearts, the ears. We must listen. What are we listening to? It mentions not only the ears in this process, but look at verse 24. It refers to the mouth here. Uh, Verse 24 says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. What are you talking about lately? What are the topics of your conversations? Because that's what you're bringing into your hearts. Let's continue in verse 25. It mentions our eyes It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ? 
And then lastly, it's the feet, verses 26 and 27. He says, make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. See, that's how we guard the hearts. Our ears, our eyes, our mouth, our feet. It's the anatomy of discipleship. It's the practical outworking of guarding the heart. The ears, the mouth, the eyes, and the feet are all involved in guarding the heart and leading lives characterized by wisdom. If we are to live well, then what we're taking into our lives matters. If we are to guard what's going to flow out of our lives, then we must be careful and wise about what's going in. Romans tells us, Romans 6, that we can either use the parts of our body for righteousness or we use the parts of our body for unrighteousness. And if you're using it for unrighteousness, that's what's coming in. If you're using it for righteousness, that's what's coming into your heart. That's how we guard the heart. What are we taking in? Years ago, someone wrote a letter to Ann Landers, the advice columnist about how she dealt with a reoccurring behavior in her husband. Now, I'm not suggesting that this should be tried at home, okay? But you'll get the points. She wrote this. She said, one day, I became so fed up with my husband's terrible mouth that I took a plate and filled it with eggshells, coffee grounds, and potato peelings from the garbage. That's what I put in his place when he sat down for dinner. My husband looked down at his plate and he complained, what's this? This is dinner? She said, I replied, Since you don't seem to mind the garbage that comes out of your mouth, I thought you might enjoy putting a little garbage into it. Ouch. He got the point. What are you putting in each day? What are you listening to? What are you looking at? What are you talking about? Where are you traveling? And with whom are you traveling? Where are your feet taking you? What places have your feet been taking you that you know leads you away from Christ who paid it all for you? See, if we're going to guard the heart, we must first know the condition of it. Know that there's junk there. That's the starting place. Know our hearts. Say, what is there? And say, I've got to get it out of there. And secondly, if we're to guard the heart and stay in tune, we must consider what it is we are feeding It's been said this way, no belief will automatically remain alive in the mind without being fed. No belief will automatically remain alive in the mind without being fed. What beliefs are you feeding? Is it truth? Is it lies? Who would you say is the most influential person in your life? Who is it that speaks into your heart more than anyone else? Now, likely, hopefully, there are some names that pop into your head. Who is the most influential person in your life? Now, this is sort of a trick question because I really, what I have in mind, there's really only one answer. The number one influence in your life is you. Is you. You speak into your life All day long. It began when you woke up this morning. It will continue until you go to sleep tonight. It's actually taking place right now, even as I speak. Paul Tripp 
has this to say. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You're in unending conversation with yourself. You're talking to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. He goes on, you may be talking to yourself about why you feel so tired, or maybe you woke up this morning with a sense of dread and you're not sure why. Perhaps you're reliving a conversation that didn't go so well, or maybe you're preparing yourself for a conversation that may be difficult by conjuring up many renditions as you can imagine so you can cover all your contingencies. Maybe your mind has traveled back to your distant past, and for reasons you don't understand, you're recalling events from your early childhood. He concludes by saying this. The point is that you are constantly involved in an internal conversation that greatly influences the things you decide, say, and do. I agree. Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with you every day? What do you regularly tell yourself about yourself, about God, about your circumstances, about people around you? Do you remind yourself that God is near, or do you reason within yourself, given your circumstances, that God must be distant? And you tell yourself that all day long. Do you encourage yourself to run to God, even when you don't understand what he's doing? Or do you give yourself permission to back away from him when you're confused by the seeming distance between what he's promised and what you're experiencing. When others talk to you, is your internal conversation so loud that it's hard to concentrate on what they're saying? What are you saying to yourself? Truth? Lies. We need to be honest with ourselves here. We are taking way too much time and energy saying wrong things to our hearts. We are out of tune and we don't even notice it because we're just saying it all day long. We're taking our cues from the culture. They're saying things and we're going, yeah, that's right. That's how I get my good image. That's it, yeah. We buy all of it and we're telling ourselves that all day long. And it doesn't line up with this. And we're out of tune. Guard our hearts with all diligence, above all else, by preaching the truth to ourselves constantly. More important than the sermons that come out of here every week. God puts a high premium on the condition of our hearts. Heart work is hard work. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It is the center of your private life. How are you guarding it and caring for your spiritual life? Are you building in resources into your life so that situations that come up, you can deal with those situations because you've put stuff in that's helpful? Or are you neglecting it? Howard Rutledge, a United States Air Force pilot, was shot down over North Vietnam during the early stages of the war. He spent several miserable years in the hands of his captors before being released at the war's conclusion. Rutledge wrote a book, and he wrote about that time and confinement in prison, and he said this. He said, during those longer periods of enforced reflection, 
It became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, he says, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, my wife encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping. But I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. And now here I am, the sights and sounds and smells of death are all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God. I wanted to talk about Christ. I wanted to talk about the church. But in the solitary confinement, there was no pastor. There was no Sunday school teacher. There was no Bible. There was no hymn book. There was no community of believers to guide and sustain me. And he said, I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. And it took prison to show me how empty life is without God. It took this situation to show Rutledge that there was a center to his private world that he had been neglecting. How about you? How about you? What is the condition of your heart? How's your soul? Do you have the resources from which you can draw when life is unbearable, intolerable, and just plain difficult? Do you have the resources from which you can draw when life is intolerable? Because what you've been putting in here is what you're going to be drawing from when those situations come. What's in there? What's in there? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your strength. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Help us to live it. Help us to put into our lives those things that are going to be helpful. That's truth and not lies. May we challenge those lies that we tell ourselves throughout the day. May we feed on your truth. And surrender to you every part of our being, our hearts, our hands, our feet, our mouths, our eyes, our ears, all of it. That they be used as instruments of righteousness. Not for unrighteousness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.